Hello guys, welcome back to our second episode. I am Ronan, I am an aerospace major here at the University of Arizona. And I am Jake, an atmospheric sciences major at the University of Washington. So we figured Today we'd we'll... uh, go over our little schedule here. We're going to start by talking about what classes we're taking this semester. We're going to go into some of the, like the grading structure for each of these classes and then we'll talk about how your overall gpa is calculated here then we're going to finish up with our first featured program now these feature program may have something to do with what we're talking about that episode it may not this one has nothing to do with it today we're starting with our featured program our story of the week where we're each going to read one story that we found this week that we thought was interesting we're going to share it it's going to be all fun and dandy. Um, so let's get started. Sure. Sounds good. So uh, do you want me to start first with uh, my uh, schedule? Uh, that sounds good. Yeah, let's, let's do that. All right. Sounds good. So I, at the University of Washington, we use the quarter system. So essentially, we have four quarters throughout the year, and the summer quarter is optional. So for this year, I'm only doing the fall, winter, and spring quarter. And at the moment, I am in my winter quarter. Usually per quarter, you take well, uh, you take about 12 to 18 credits. But usually credits don't necessarily dictate how much time you spend on a course, because it's just defined relative to each department. So you might have an English course that's worth five credits, where you only do like three hours of work a week, versus a math course where three credits that you do like eight hours of work a week, which is a little annoying, but it's not really the end of the world. That's but really weird. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the courses that I'm taking are, I'm taking what we call Math 126, which is Calculus 3 or Vector Calculus. I am taking Physics 122 or Electricity and Magnetism. I am taking English 182 or Multimodal Composition. And I'm taking Atmospheric Sciences 220, which is a seminar in exploring the atmospheric sciences. That is a major requirement that I have to take twice. twice. The wow. first three classes are all worth five credits. And then the final class, the seminar, is only worth one because you theoretically don't do any work in that class. So classes where you don't have any work, you just sit there and listen, you only get one credit. So I... The math and the physics class are definitely like much more difficult than the English class in the atmospheric science seminar, probably quite obviously. But I think that one of the things that makes the physics class, in my opinion, the hardest of all of them is because of like the heinous grading structure that the, the course uses. You have all of these little bits and bobs that add up to your total course. Like you do these like tutorials on Tuesday where you learn how to take where you learn what you're doing in class essentially in a more hands-on matter with a workbook. And that's like, just by showing up is like 1% of your grade and like finishing it is 3% of your grade. Or showing up to lab, you get 8% of your grade and doing well in the lab is another 8% of your grade. And then it's a whole different story when you come to the midterms and finals. There's this weird thing where like, depending on which like composite score is higher, your final uh, test score, which is worth 60% of your grade, can either be an average of all three of your test scores, 
or it could be 40% from your final and 20% from your highest midterm, whichever score is higher. And it's just, it's so complex and convoluted and there's so many grades per quarter that you can lose points or gain points on that it just makes the class much more difficult even if it's roughly the same time commitment as math, for example. Oh, wow. Yeah, that sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah. And like math is just so much simpler. It's like, oh, 10% homework, 20% uh, midterm one, 30% midterm two, if you did better on it than midterm one, and then 40% final. It's just like easy peasy. And if you get 90% of your homework right, then you it, essentially you just are assumed that you got 100 on your homework. So you only need to get 90% of the homework right to get all 10% of the points. Nice, nice, nice. Which is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially because it's vector calc. It's pretty difficult, you know. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Um, so, so I am taking here at Arizona a very similar set of courses. They have all different names and stuff. So I'm taking Physics 241, which is mm -hmm. considered uh, Physics, Electricity, and Magnetism. Math mm -hmm. 223, that's Vector Calculus. English 102. Uh, I think it's like English and composition or something. It's just yeah. the English that everyone has to take at the uh, the beginning of the year. And then yeah. I have a general education course called uh, TLS-150B. It is called Sports, Leisure, and Consumer Culture. So hmm. physics, I mean, we're both in the same physics class. It's different things, but it, it's pretty much just all the same material. You know, yeah. electricity. You're curling your hand around and stuff in midterm for the right hand rule, or yeah. then you're like, oh shit, it's a negative. We gotta use the left hand. Yeah, yeah, I get that, and <laughs> it it it's like, um, it's it's quite self-explanatory. It's physics, electricity, and magnetism. So you're gonna learn yeah. how electricity works. And you're going to learn kind of how magnetism works. So, and, oh, and, and circuits, but that's kind of goes uh, with yeah, electricity. You got to remember that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, one thing that's interesting is my university teaches relativity in electromagnetism. Relativity. So you do electricity, magnetism, circuits, and for some reason, relativity. So I had two relativity problems on my midterm, and I was like, hmm, this doesn't feel like electricity. Yeah, we only had uh, the electrostatics for our first midterm. So that was, you know, Coulomb's law, electric fields, potential, potential energy, and what was the third thing? I'm completely blanking on it. Oh, it was kind of like how the forces interact with, like, other things. So it's like a pendulum with a charge. So you have not only uh, the electric force but gravity. Those kinds of problems. You, you know what I'm talking about? With like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking where about. Where it's like you have to find like the angle between like a charge and a charged wall. Now we're doing capacitors. So that's mm -hmm. fun. Uh, so we do in University of Arizona semesters. So mm -hmm. I'm definitely behind where you are, but I also take yeah. spend half the time in class a week that you do. Yeah. It, like, 
it's I, a lot still though yeah yeah like i i can't sh- obviously show you guys my schedule but i can like look at it on my phone and <laughs> it's pretty heinous like my lightest day is friday where i'm only in class two hours but my heaviest day is wednesday where i'm in class in the morning for three and a half hours in the row and I have a break for lunch, and then I have another two hours in the afternoon. So I'm in class five and a half hours. I basically do, like, the equivalent of, like, a high school day. Yeah, that's about the same as my toughest day. So my uh, easiest day is also Friday. I'm in class 50 minutes, and it's oh at 1 God. o'clock. It's amazing. Oh, my God. You could pretend it, on to Friday, be I start at 8:30. jealous. <laughs> 8.30. I couldn't imagine waking up at 8.30. Though I actually hey, don't wake up that late. All right. It's actually kind of nice. I do basically, like, all of my homework for the weekend on Friday before class starts, and I do my laundry. So I'm basically, Saturday, I can just sit around and do literally nothing. I can do whatever I want. Imagine. <laughs> I I don't know. The quota system, you're just constantly grinding. It's like uh, my, my roommate, he was like, oh, it's going to be a light Saturday today, only three hours instead of four hours of work. Oh. Yeah, I don't think I've done any work on a Saturday, except for when I was studying the whole year. Not even this semester, the whole year. Uh, but, yes, vector calc. Vector calc is also really, really hard. Uh, yeah. Mostly, it's I think it's harder than physics, mostly because uh, the math department gives you less opportunities to make up if you're struggling. Uh, I see. So for physics, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of ways that uh, they help you out. So first of all, all the tests have 105 points, but they're oh graded out of 100. So you could already get 105% on a test. That's crazy. Then you can – there's a bonus opportunity. You could get – you have to answer 10 questions – but the key thing is that you have to go explain them in like paragraph form. So it's actually kind of annoying because it actually takes longer to explain than do the problems. Yeah. And then on top of that, uh, a lot of the teachers were like, so this is, they said the electrostatics test was the hardest test all year. So what my teacher did was instead of having a lot of math based questions, we had a lot of more conceptual, you know, explain why this works or why this works. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I, I understand. So it, it definitely made it a lot easier. Yeah, I I think that for, I don't know, for me, I think that the math is a little easier than the physics simply because of how my university has structured the opportunities we have to study. Like there's a there's a midterm exam archive that is regularly updated by the math department that has every single midterm for your class going back like 10 years that you can just do as practice. It's like there's so much practice available to you, whereas for the physics department, there really isn't. You get like one practice midterm and they release a few practice problems, but it's not tons. Yeah, so I don't know. it's kind of the opposite. So here – They'll give us a practice test. We don't get access to all of them for physics. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a uh, – she makes a video, our teacher, of mm-hmm. all the important things in the topics that you can watch. 
and she'll go over all the math and all that. So those are really helpful. And then she was also my teacher last year for physics mechanics, and she noticed that a lot of the struggles we were having were math-related, not conceptual-related. So now we have we have what it's called SI leaders. They're student like leaders that like they'll uh, form study groups and all that kind of stuff that you can go to. Yeah. And there, one of them is making a series of videos on how to do the math for pretty much every type of problem will receive on the test. Huh. But interesting for math, it's a little bit harder. So we also have where our homeworks are only considered 90%. If you get 90%, it's 100 and it scales. Mm -hmm. Then, but we don't get a, did we, I don't think we got a practice test last test. I don't, at least I don't remember. I didn't check. Really? Before, well, I mean, I might've checked during the test, but I didn't check like now. Yeah. I don't remember if I did it. <laughs> um, yeah. We, there's no bonus opportunities. You just take the test and whatever your grade is, that's your grade. The only thing that like the little bit of breathing room they give you is if you do better on the final, then they'll drop your lowest midterm. And the finals considered it's usually considered two tests. Now it's considered three. Mm. Interesting. So it's a little helpful, but like then you still have to do well on the final, you know? Yeah, yeah, I understand. Hmm. So then Interesting. English English is a little whack, to say the least. How so? It um so the what we're doing now, Ryan, we're doing a research essay. Like I'm yeah. researching like MLB uh, integration and like Jackie Robinson and all that stuff. Yeah. So we're like doing it like baby steps at a time, you know. First, we'll read like some top like short stories about the topics. Then we'll have an assignment where if to come up with a thesis, and then she'll check it. Then okay. we'll do an outline and she'll check it. Then we'll do a draft, and then she'll check it, and we'll do a peer review, and then we submit the essay. So as long as you just kind of listen to what other people are saying, you can easily get, like, over an 85 just just by listening to what they're telling you. Wow, that's, cr it, <laughs> that's it, crazy. It, it's not handed to you because you still have to do the work. But, like, it's kind yeah. of a thing, like, if you show up to class, listen, and do what you're told, you're going to do well, you know? Yeah. Even if yeah. you're not the best English writer. Like, they're not going to tell you the answers, but they'll certainly lead you to them. No, yeah, I understand. And you then, see, the thing with my English class is that it's structured. This is how, like, all the English classes are structured in the department, where throughout the quarter you do, like, these assignments based off of like some sort of theme so my theme for mine is a, a you're, you're gonna get a kick out of this i'm analyzing oh what was the words that i was using to define it i just texted someone oh yeah the importance of textbook covers for visual learning because the whole point of the course is multimodal analysis so we have to analyze the english language not just with text but also like visuals and speaking and things like that so I'm analyzing textbook covers. So today <laughs> I was just uh, making a brochure that was highlighting different textbooks used by different universities across the country, as well as the covers of the textbooks. But all of the projects that you do throughout the quarter are only worth 30% of your grade. 
What's then like the big thing, 70% of your grade, is your portfolio at the end of the class where you take all of these projects together and you like combine them with like your overarching theme and like a giant 5,000 word essay with pictures, descriptions, voice memos, things like that. Oh, that's kind of like so, the opposite of grading structure here. So we have three projects. We have a literary mm-hmm. analysis. Uh, yeah. We have a – what's it called? The research essay. We have the research essay presentation in our portfolio. So the research essay and the literary analysis are both worth 50 combined, right? So 25 each. Then you have yeah. the presentation that's worth 5%. The uh, portfolio then is only worth like 10 or 15. I don't remember the exact number. Interesting. But then we have all the little assignments in between. So we have these like reader responses. So we'll read a short story and then we'll say what happens in them and we'll connect them and do all the English nonsense. <laughs> That yeah, the English yeah. teachers making, and that's like worth like twenty percent. But there, we have like a ton of those, so yeah. doing bad on like one of them is like okay. And then there's attendance. It's I think attendance is like five or less oh, nice. than five. And we get to miss two classes, which is fun. Oh. <laughs> Gotta save them for rainy days. Yeah, yeah. Towards the end or of the just year. The end of the quarter. <laughs> yeah, because. Or a semester I, for you, I guess. Yeah. The presentation or not the presentation the portfolio it's really self-explanatory so mm-hmm. <laughs> towards the end yeah you just don't show up yeah i think my so weirdest class is so i have two weird classes so i have my first ame class ame 105 it's about matlab yeah and then my gen ed which is uh the sports leisure and consumer culture so matlab for those who don't know, it's a coding program for engineers. You could like analyze things and it does things for, I don't, I don't really understand fully what MATLAB does yet because I'm just taking the class now, mm-hmm. but it's a one credit class. So unlike you, our credits are standardized and uh-huh, basically what it means is for each credit, there is a how do I explain this? There there's like a certain amount of work you're supposed to do outside of class each week. So one credit I think it's three hours is so three hours out of work. So a four credit class, you're supposed to be doing twelve hours of work out of class. Now usually it's yeah. less than that because that would mean, you know, if you were taking fifteen credits like I am, you're supposed to be doing not only showing up for class 20 hours a week, but doing 45 hours outside of class. That's yeah. not crazy, but definitely excessive. It's not 45 hours worth of yeah. out-of-class stuff. Maybe maybe like 30. I'd say that's about right. So in that class, but especially like, so it's supposed to be like three hours worth of things, because obviously there's no 0.5 credits. It's more of yeah. like every weekend-ish we'll have to do like five questions and we have a test and then we have a final. That's 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 <laughs> all there is. Uh, then there's my gen ed, which they that class, uh, the content 
I'm not like crazy about. You're like examining sports, uh, leisure, and consumer culture through like a sociology lens. So you know we talked a lot about like uh, sports and have the like implications for different groups. You know women, uh, racial groups, and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we'll do we're doing the same thing for leisure now, and then we'll do the same thing for consumer culture next. And then so okay. each week we'll have two videos to watch, which there'll be questions embedded in them, usually just two. We'll have a reading. Okay. And then we'll have a reading quiz, and then we might have another assignment. So like uh, this week, we uh, have to go interview somebody about their leisure habits. So, Jake, okay. at some point I'm going to need to interview you about your leisure habits before next Sunday. You see, we might have a problem with that. And then, oh, I do not have leisure. I am simply a grinding machine. I wake <laughs> up, I class, I eat, I sleep, I repeat. <laughs> not even a little bit of no, YouTube no, 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 no. in between? No, no, no. Don't worry. I got leisure. I, I have time to catch up on all, you know, my Star Wars shows and stuff. <laughs> Gotta watch I'm the Bad def- Batch. Oh, yeah. Every, every Wednesday. Oh wake no! Up right early, watch the Bad Batch so I don't get spoilers. Exactly, just gotta be. Able to just wait. Oh no, Omega's gone missing again. We gotta go rescue her. Like who the <laughs> And then she comes in and saves them. That's basically every episode of the Bad Batch. Yeah. But basically. So that's what we're doing in that class. So it's annoying to sit there and watch like a thirty-minute video. One time I had to watch a three-hour movie. But it's yeah. all watching. Like, even the reading thing, I haven't, other than the book we had to read, I haven't done any of the readings. The questions are usually so obvious, you only get, like, you either get five out of five or four out of five. Yeah. So, it, it, it's all right. Uh, so, how is your GPA calculated over there at uh, Washington? Every, uh... <laughs> you're going to get a kick out of this. Every single teacher of their class gets to decide basically based off of departmental guidelines (laughs) yeah so every single class is different basically like they get to make their own curves or have no curve at all or have some wacky thing like the uh, math department they have a curve where they curve every class to a um 3.0 plus or minus 0.2 depending on how well the class did so like for last quarter when i did um I don't know, Calculus 2. I can't remember what its, like, actual name is. The uh, class was curved to a 3.2, and I had a 3.3. But this quarter, I don't know what my uh, class is going to get curved to for math because it changes every quarter, and it depends how well the class does. For English, basically, everyone just gets a 4.0 if they do all the work, and, like, they put in a little bit of extra effort. You get a 3.5 if you do all the work, and you get a 3.0 if you do all the work but don't put in much effort. (laughs) and then for physics there is no curve essentially what it is is there's like a chart that is like oh if you have like a 60.6 average in the class you have a 2.0 or like if you have a 79.8 you have a 3 so that's how all those classes work and then the seminar classes are credit no credit so for my atmospheric science seminar if I get a six, if I, on like the mini quizzes we have do once a week, if I get 60% of the questions right, which like, you know, come on, 
I I get credit for the class. Theoretically, hey. I could just stop doing the quizzes right now, and I would still get credit for the class. Because <laughs> I've done so well in all the other ones so far. And we're nice. in week... We're starting week nine on next week, and we only have ten weeks per quarter. Oh, so you got midterms coming up. No, I just had my physics midterm yesterday. Oh, And I have math on Tuesday. So you're done with physics then? You're just chilling? No, midterm. Then I have final in two, uh, two and a half weeks from now. Wait, you have a final and a midterm, and then a week and a half later you have a final? Yeah, you got first four weeks, then midterm one, then another four weeks, midterm week eight, and then you have two and a half weeks, and then you have your final during finals week. Unless you're in the math class, in the math department for all the inter-series classes, your finals are on Saturday at night. So I literally finish week 10 on Friday. Like, I, do, I have lecture Friday, and the next day I take the final. That sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is. But um, it's not too bad because then physics isn't until Tuesday. So I can sort of like more focus, concentrate, study things, you know? <laughs> yeah. So... But it's so odd because like math is at so late at night, but physics is like 8.30 in the morning. So it's like one test, I'm just going to be sitting around waiting all day, maybe studying a little bit. And the other test, I got to wake up bright and early. Wow. So GPA is calculated a little differently here. Okay. So each teacher defines what an A, B, C, or D, or E is, right? Okay. So for most classes, that means that A is a 90 and above. Mm-hmm. For a B, it's a uh, 80, then so on. Except for physics, because physics is hard. And A is an 85. Okay. And then B is a 75, and it goes down, continuing. So so you get the percentage grade, which then mm-hmm. they transfer to a letter grade. Okay. So then an A is 4. Or actually, what it is, is they take the number... Your, so an A is four points, a B is three points, a C is two points, a D is one point, E is zero. Okay. Then they multiply by the number of credits. Uh, so the yeah, right, right. I'm trying to think. It, it's like a they like average it somehow, but it's like a really weird thing. So the what it basically does is that. Four credit classes, or the more credits your class is, the more it affects your GPA. So getting okay. an A in a four credit class really brings it up, but getting like a C in a one credit class barely affects it. Interesting. Uh, I'm trying to think of exactly how it's calculated. So I know that A is a four. So if you even Save a B, so you got three out of four. Okay. But then they multiply it. Oh, oh, okay. So they take each. I, I, I understand. Remember now. So they take each class, right? And they look at your letter okay. grade. They multiply, based off of your letter grade, whether you got a four or three or two in that class. They multiply it by the number of credits, and then they divide it by the number of credits you took total. 
Okay. So what it basically does is it makes a weighted average. Interesting. So it means that you really got to do well in the big classes. Yeah, basically. Uh, I don't know if there's anything really else to say about this matter. Would you like to move on to our first featured program? Sounds good to me. All right, why don't you share first? What is your story of the week? All right, so you're probably going to frown upon this, but it is a New York Times article. However, <laughs> it is apolitical. It is about the winter storm in Southern California. Ooh. I don't know if anybody is aware of the winter storm in Southern California, <laughs> but as an atmospheric science major, I feel like it is my duty to make it aware to all of the kind listeners out there of the winter storm in Southern California, especially if it is impacting you or anybody that you know in that area. Am I going to get a response right now? Okay. I don't live in Southern California. <laughs> you live close. Um, like, if like 300, 400 miles is considered close, <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm that's closer than place. England, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not close. All right, whatever. Sounds good. Anyways, basically, today and into tomorrow and yesterday as well, so like over yesterday into tomorrow, there's a large winter storm that is affecting the west coast of the United States as a result of a powerful low coming in from the Pacific as well as air moving in from the interior of the country to the west coast due to the jet stream. And essentially, it's all lined up to create like the perfect storm where it's super cold in Southern California, relatively speaking, of course, as well as a ton of moisture coming in off of the Pacific coast due to lingering air from the... Uh, the Pineapple Express that has still been shooting more moisture even into late February and early March, which is much later than it usually does. Now, this might sound like a lot of meteorological lingo to people, but essentially cold air come in, moisture from ocean, you get snow. Now, the reason, why this, the reason why this storm is like really special is because of how cold it really is. Like, I'm pretty sure yesterday the National Weather Service reported flurries for about an hour on the Hollywood sign, which, you know, usually when you think of, like, the Hollywood sign, you think of, like, you know, people in, like, tank tops and bikinis, and it's warm with palm <laughs> trees. You don't think of snow. So that's why this is crazy. But um, one thing that I wanted to point out with this article and why I picked it in particular is because it talks about how the storm took everybody off guard because of the difficulties of forecasting storms that are coming in off the uh, Pacific Ocean. But one thing that we talked about in my Meteorology 101 class in the fall was that the myth that we can't forecast so well for the West Coast because of a lack of data over the Pacific Ocean just isn't really like, it's true, it's a myth, because of satellites. And because of satellites, we can take weather observations that at times are even better than ground observations. So the fact that oceans exist where we don't have lots of data points to make observations of meteorological happenings, satellites fill that role. And there's no problem as a result of that in forecasting the storms that come off the West Coast. In fact, forecasting storms that come off the Pacific have gotten so good that in like Seattle, we can- Low battery forecast rain bands that are coming in off of the Pacific coast down to like the hour. 
and I don't know. I just I just picked this story in particular because of that that point that they were talking about and how it's kind of a fallacy in that this winter storm in Southern California bringing snow to like the foothills and like San, slush in San Bernardino is not exactly a freak event. We knew it was going to happen. Ooh. It's just Californians are dumb and don't know how to drive in the snow. <laughs> Sorry to the Californians in the audience, but it's true. Uh, that's because, uh, I don't know, they don't get snow. Maybe that. Maybe, exactly. Maybe that's the explanation. Yeah, we got yeah. we got snow here in Arizona. It was interesting. I woke up to people like saying things at three in the morning on like a Wednesday. I think it was a Wednesday. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh my god, it's snowing. And it was like just a little bit of some amount of like, it wasn't even an inch. It was yeah. still crazy though. There's a uh, dusting, right? Apparently though, the mountains got like 55 inches. Yeah. Like we had more snow down here on our mountains than in New York. Yeah. No, New York City has gotten zero snowfall this entire year. None. Woo! Wait, no, that's not a it's good thing. It's crazy. More snow. Yeah. That means that nobody's getting, you know, snow days. In uh, where we're from, you know, in, like, the suburbs, I'm pretty sure there's been half an inch that one day. That is Now, the criminal. storm that's uh, moving through California now is expected to, you know, track across the country, and they say that there could be some snow in New York City, but they're still not betting on it. So if there's no snow in New York City, like, through the end of the year, this would be the first ever that new york city had no recorded snowfall since 1861 which is when they started keeping track of uh, meteorological data in new york city wow yeah so Crazy. my story is more interesting than weather boy's story what do you mean my story <laughs> is interesting my story has real world impacts upon people living their daily lives in the great golden state of california well my as well as story potentially state. affects everybody who cares about baseball but it still encompasses more people than just california what about like the people in nevada where there's snow too um well there's like 10 people in nevada except for las vegas (laughs) all right sounds good whatever get on get on with your story so this story is from the Associated Press called MLB Catchers Wary of Looming Robo Umps Amid Rule Changes. So basically, if you don't know, a lot of people and a lot of players are pretty unhappy, and, and Jake, are pretty unhappy <laughs> with how the umpires have been calling balls and strikes. It's subjective, there's a lot of errors, and there's no way to actually challenge it and there's also been a lot of videos of some pretty egregious calls, like Angel Hernandez taking a strike down the middle multiple times and just calling it a ball. So That's crazy. The MLB has been working on creating a system where a computer using visual and sensors and all the technology stuff is going to look at where a pitch lands with 100% accuracy being able to say if it's a ball or a strike. Mm-hmm. So the, there has been a lot of positive reception from this from the fans and a lot of the players, but the catchers are uh, a little less happy about it. So huh. 
the MLB right now, the way it works is they're testing it in AAA. So in AAA okay. games, Monday through Thursday, it's going to have this new ABS system. All right. On Friday through Sunday, they're going to have the umpire system where they'll be able to use the, the still the ABS system, but pitchers and batters will be able to challenge pitches. Like okay. They'll be able to like, tap on their head. I think it's, that's how it works. They tap on their head, the pitcher, and they'll say, yeah, I want to challenge that call. So it, it's kind of a balance, I guess, they're trying to find between like the human element of the catchers. It makes the game a little bit more interesting, I guess, in a way. Yeah. We're also ruling out some more egregious calls. Yeah. So it's not all stats, but it's more fair. Yeah. So what uh, Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, says that he could feel as though this could be implemented by 2024. So not this season, but next season. The umps okay. have already, the umpires union have already cleared it through. So they are allowing it to go through. It's the catchers now that are speaking out. So one of the catchers, the Yankees catcher, Jose Trevino, felt that mm -hmm. Manfred had never put on the gear and it doesn't know what it's like. And it'll take away from the art of catching. So a big part of catching is framing, where the mm -hmm. catcher will move his glove around based on where a pitch lands in an attempt to fool the umpire into thinking there is a... That's right. So that's considered like a really important part of catchers' jobs now. And so there's a lot of defensive catchers in the league. They spent mm -hmm. a lot of time learning this stuff. And now they feel like, well, now we're basically useless. We just have to catch the ball. Yeah. You know? And then like throw people at it second base. Yeah, pretty much. And third if they decide, you know. Yeah. To run there. But so they feel it would take a lot of their skill and abilities away from them. They'll basically just be a catcher. Yeah. And as a catcher, as in they just catch the ball. <laughs> yeah. And they get to hit. So it might force them to learn to hit a little better, which would be interesting. Because catchers aren't known for being some of the best pitchers. I... Hitters, you mean. Hitters, yes. They're not pitchers. <laughs> Can you imagine a two-way player that's a pitcher? And a catcher. That would be very interesting. Like, on days they pitch, they don't catch. But when they're not pitching, they're catching. That sounds so rough on their body. <laughs> sounds... Your knees and your arms are just... Dist... You're like, oh, you're 35, and you're like... You, you don't have any, like, muscle movement you know, The body you're of a football off. player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I I don't personally like the full ABS system where it just it just auto calls, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I like the little bit more of the game that the catchers play, giving them a little chance to try to wiggle in some fishes. It's one thing for a tough call for even the umpire, where it's just off the plate or just in the plate, and the catcher kind of moves it in to try to make it look yeah. as though it's a strike. It's another when they're throwing pitches down the middle and. It's missed. So I think there should be some way to challenge it. Yeah. But it shouldn't take away the human nature. Because I think it makes the game more fluid and more fun. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I like the system where, like, there's the challenging, you know. Because, you know, I don't know. 
challenging is also like fun like they like think about challenges in football like the suspense associated with that if you watch football at yeah. all it wouldn't be as challenging because it will already be determined before the player even challenges they just so what i understand True. is they tap on their head and then it goes on the jumper screen and they'll show up the thing and they'll show the pitch coming in they'll say ball or strike yeah like it's it's not this whole deal like a regular challenge would be in major league baseball so it, it definitely does bring a little bit more excitement. I think it's more for the players than the fans, that aspect. You know, because regular challenges, you know, calling whether someone is out at home plate, you know, that's obviously way more entertaining than, oh, is the ball a little too low to hit? Yeah. But we'll see. I don't we'll know. see what they do. Yeah, uh, we'll see. I think it's... It'll be an interesting game between the umpires and the catchers versus the fans and the rest of the major leagues. But yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. We'll see what happens. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting story to develop, you know? Yeah, we'll see what happens. All right, uh, that's going to be it for our episode today, episode two. We'll see you, uh, hopefully next friday we're, we're gonna potentially yep. look at changing dates maybe we'll look saturday or sunday you know you could always leave us feedback on our new instagram e w experience no spaces mm -hmm. if you want to support the channel we have a link to our patreon on our podcast it's greatly appreciated but not mandatory other than that i guess we'll see you next week sounds good see y'all later <laughs>